0: Sports Station, presented by Bett Rivers Sportsbook.
2: Hey, morning, Chicago. Welcome back inside the clubhouse right here at 670 The Score, Chicago Sports Radio. We interrupt this Bears organizational overhaul to talk baseball for a couple hours live from the Hyundai Score Studios. I am David Haw, along with Bruce Levine, who is ready to bring us up to date on all things Cubs, White Sox, MLB Labor Talks 2. Morning, Bruce. How are you doing? Morning, David.
1: Yeah, we're uh, to go. It's, a, it's an exciting day here uh, talking some baseball because there has been some good movement over the last week between the Players Association and Major League Baseball, which is great news for everybody. Uh, do we have a deal yet? No, but we have agreements uh, on things on the table and off the table we're going to fill you in on. Uh, David said, as, as you know, We're here every week, 52 weeks out of the year, talking baseball. The number is 312-644-6767. Great guests lined up today,
2: right, Dave? Yeah, we do. We have a great show ahead of you uh, for you. Andre Dawson at 930. You don't want to miss the Hawk talking about the Hall of Fame vote this week, what he's up to, and the Cubs. And at 10 o'clock, Marco Patti, the special assistant to the general manager, the international uh, brains of the outfit, Bruce. I mean, it's a collective, collaborative effort, but Marco Patti is at the top uh, of, of guys who you want to credit for the White Sox success in signing and attracting so many talented international players, and we're talking to him at 10 o'clock along the way. We've got some little tidbits that you want to throw out. there. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes uh, with both our teams, both in the sports gambling realm and and with the stadium news, but let's start with what you said. The MLB labor talks. This was a glimmer of hope this week. Maybe we're overstating that because we're, we want one. Here we are, the end of January. The lockout continues, Bruce. The work stoppage that nobody wants to see bleed into spring training threatens the spring training starting on time. But how would you evaluate and describe the progress that we saw this week in the last couple of days on the labor front?
1: Well, the, the, the progress is real, David, because they've agreed upon taking things off the table that were bargaining chips for both sides, and they've agreed to add some. So let's give you a, you know, a, a little play-by-play here. First and foremost, uh, the players and the owners are very close to agreeing on a deal that will give young players in baseball more money. So the, the, the minimum right now is $575,000 a year when you're a one-through uh Two-player, actually one through three-year player in Major League Baseball. Uh, that means that you're locked into that amount. The teams can pay you uh, as much as they want or as little as they want from five seventy-five on. So the goal this time around for the Players Association and now Major League Baseball joining them is to give them a, a bigger minimum, you know, salaries. So mm-hmm. shooting up from six fifty, players want seven seventy-five as the initial amount. Uh, it seems insignificant to somebody listening right now, but it's significant because they're also talking about a a a pool that would be there for the one through three players that would be able to um, get a base salary plus a bonus and based on incentives. So the incentives would be war for rookie players. It would be performance it would be performance. Um, Given uh, dollars to people. In other words, l- let me give you an example. Um, so last year, uh, under the old system, uh, you had, you know, basically your Cy Young Award winner uh, from Milwaukee, um, you know, Corbin Burns making six hundred and eight thousand dollars. Under this new system, where he was a Cy Young Award winner and his, his stats were were. Among the best in baseball, he would have made 2.34 million dollars. So, a bonus system for young players—they can make money earlier. This does nothing but increase the salary of other players down the line as well. These players and more. Uh, the players' demand for a five-year free agency was dropped. Uh, Major League, off, Major League Baseball also offered an increase in the in the competitive balance tax, which is the luxury tax. That we talk about, which is sitting at around 210 million. Once teams go over that amount, they get penalized, and it, uh, as it, the more they go over it, the more they get penalized. Uh, so it's important for the players to have that number up. They're asking for 245 million uh, as a base for uh, for no um, for uh, for no penalties. Uh, mm-hmm. That gives much more room for the. Uh, for, the, for the payroll, so th- that's really important too. Uh, a postseason pool for the players, where they would gain another 20 million dollars in the first round of postseason. Uh, the owners are suggesting that they go from the present system of 10 playoff teams to 14. That would add an extra round. That would mean more money for the players out of the uh, pool, which is basically where they get their money. For a revenue from ticket sales for the playoffs. Uh, one other thing: uh, draft picks, David. Uh, mm-hmm. There would be a lottery for draft picks, and that would encourage, encourage, and again, I underline encourage teams not to tank, because the lottery system would, if you're the worst team in baseball, you don't automatically get the uh, the first pick in the draft anymore. So this would be encouraging as well as um, you know trying to. Um, Make sure first-year players are incentivized to – the teams are incentivized to keep them on the roster for a whole year. Draft picks would be added to those teams that promote their players, uh, rookies, and keep them on the team all year. Again, this is an anti-tanking device that gets everybody motivated to, uh, to win every year and to pay top salaries to
2: the players. Okay, good. Good information. The devil's in the details. I think those are all the points that needed to be covered and explained. Big picture-wise, how much mm-hmm. do you think is it is significant that we did see both sides in the first meeting since this all began back in December? How significant was it that there were concessions on both sides? And how, how much was that con- caused or the compelling reason that initially – the Deputy Commissioner, Dan Hallam, talked about losing games, talked about the threat that this could bleed into the season. He, yeah. he said the, the the silent part out loud and basically let everybody know that that was, I don't know if it was an implied threat, Bruce, but it certainly underscored what's at stake here. How much did that set the tone for some sort of concession that we saw maybe over the course of those first two days?
1: To be honest with you, David, I don't think that had an impact at all. Uh, what I believe had a bigger impact was were the NFL games last weekend. I think that had as huge of impact subliminally to the people. And I talked to, you know, some people off the record who I'm probably not being supposed to be able to talk to right now. They all agreed that uh, the NFL after last weekend uh, and those games that were so exciting down to the end for that whole weekend uh, that, that underlined uh, how important it is. For baseball to get moving and not only get this deal done, David, but a couple of the people I talked to said, it's important we start marketing our team and marketing our players, because we haven't done a great job of marketing our players. A lot of our people are afraid that you market your own players and it costs you when it comes time to pay them. And this is the antithesis of what other other leagues do. Promoting the hell out of their players and uh, making them the stars that they are. So uh, this is—I I, think—that was a huge wake-up call for people um, going into this week, and that you saw for the first time back-to-back days of, uh, of them discussing these terms and getting some things done. Uh, if you ask me right now when this thing will get done completely, I, I'm saying I'm saying by the second week of February we we have a deal done. Okay. okay, that's a great uh, prediction. Uh, it's 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 encouraging that these moves have made. Both sides have uh, told me off the record that they they feel that the other side, for the first time, really feels like they want to get a deal done.
2: Bruce, if the games are really really good tomorrow in the AFC and NFC championship games, could it be this week?
1: <laughs> Based I, on be, your t- logic and premise, it, then...
2: yeah. No, no. Look, it, it,
1: there there is there is some logic in the premise it's not the driving force but it is certainly these people understand what the nfl is and how they sell their game there is no question about the fact that their players are promoted and are promoted as likable superstars in yep. in baseball they're hidden figures that's all that's all you can say about them they're they're not at the forefront of what the game is the way the game is being promoted by major league baseball
2: And speaking of those championship games, tomorrow, here on The Score, the NFC Championship game right here at 5.30, the 49ers and the Rams. Before that, the AFC Championship game. Because the Bulls are on The Score in the afternoon, that game will be on the sister station, WBBM. So a full day of football ahead of you on Monday, the 11 o'clock press conference broadcast right here, introducing the Bears' new head coach, Matt Eberflus, and their new general manager, Ryan Poles. But, Bruce, back to baseball. Uh, moving on from the labor talks, we'll we'll continue to discuss details, uh, if you wish, 312-644-6767. But you mentioned the challenge of marketing the stars and marketing the game. And I think that brings us nicely into the Hall of Fame discussion. This week, David Ortiz, the only name off the ballot that goes into the Hall of Fame. A lot of controversy surrounding his Canada see his eligibility and whether or not that's deserving or not. But frankly, it's who didn't get in, which created just as much of a stir. No Barry Bonds, no Roger Clemens, no Alex Rodriguez, no Sammy Sosa to go local here. That's the issue, right? Because we we want to celebrate the Hall of Fame's intended to celebrate the careers of the greatest players of all time. And F every year we end up debating the controversies around their their credentials, and that's a problem. David, uh, I'm going
1: to ask you a question outside the box pertaining to this. In the NFL Hall of Fame, how many players do you think uh, are, exist in there that did steroids? A lot. A lot. Okay. And, and what do we hear other than six or seven of the greatest players in the history of – the NFL, every summer, going into Canton and in the Hall of Fame. Do we hear anything about, oh, yeah, uh, this guy allegedly did steroids. He went from, from 250, uh, he retired, He's, he now weighs 195 pounds. I mean, <laughs> this is, it's so I hypocritical. Well, I mean, it, it's, uh, and again, what, what stands out is that the Baseball Hall of Fame is the most important Hall of Fame. It's the most talked about Hall of Fame. Uh, it is the most uh, most looked at and most respected Hall of Fame, but in reality, these places are museums representing the history of the game. Okay, you're supposed to talk about the history of the game. If guys did steroids in this era, if guys threw spitballs in the 1900s to 1920s, that was the era. You 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 have that museum. You enter these people, okay? And, and again, Andre Dawson is going to argue with me and you about this. But the point is, you represent the history of the game. If you have to have a separate section saying, this is the steroid era. This is where this player played. He may or may not have done steroids during this era. Sure, the clean players would be impacted and people would say, We don't belong in that section of the Hall of Fame. Yes, you do. You played in that era. This was something that occurred. It was tolerated, David. It was allowed. There was no way to really test for it until 2003, 2004. So that is just a part of the history of Major League Baseball. If you want to ignore the history.
2: I agree with you because I do think that we need some guidelines uh, to to widen the net if you will and we are in full disclosure part of that hypocrisy both of us are voters and both of us are following the guidelines and frankly both of us are interpreting them differently and every voter will and that's the problem I think that creates some of these disparities and well this so this candidate is 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 worthy, and this candidate isn't. And that is why the controversy dominates the discussion over the credentials, which is, I think, a marketing issue for Major League Baseball. And the Hall of Fame is a museum. and you cannot write the the history of baseball without including Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. And it causes me to rethink it every year. And frankly, when I explain why I voted for David Ortiz and didn't vote for Barry Bonds, I sound like a, a prosecuting attorney trying to, you know, litigate a case because it's ridiculous to me that, I, that we have to do that, but we have to do that because that is the criteria and it gets a bit exhausting. Uh, and not, not to feel sorry for the voters because nobody wants to do that, but it just, I think it diminishes the accomplishments of the guys who do get in and those who are worthy then don't. So that's why baseball Yeah, how has do we issue. know?
1: At this point, we, we just don't know who is worthy, okay? Right. We, 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 we think we know, but, the, you know, allegedly there's already five guys in the Hall of Fame that uh, were pretty much connected with the steroids era, either doing it or testing positive, uh, you know. So from that perspective, you know, guys like us, the 394 voters from this year, uh, we, we, we have nowhere to go. We have absolutely nowhere to go with this other than to say this is the history of the game. The greatest players belong uh, in a museum for people to walk through 20, 30, 50 years from now and know who the best players were. It's also incumbent upon people to say maybe they had help during this era. Maybe they had they did steroids. Uh, It's it's a museum. It's about history. Report the history accurately and put these guys in their own special era and wing and be done with it. Uh, I think everybody, David, you tell me, aren't you relieved that Bonds and Clemens aren't on your uh, ballot next year to have to go over and over again as to whether or not uh, you should vote for them or not?
2: A little, but now the A-Rod decision, you know, it's going to be an annual source of discussion. Right.
1: One of the greatest players in the game. Did steroids twice, you know? Yeah. Give him his own special special section. This guy got caught twice. Bruce, you know? give him his own Manny show Ramirez.
2: for goodness sakes. Make it the air right. Oh wait, he's already got one of those. Make
1: him one of the most popular people in the <laughs> in the country, as far as uh, as far as uh, media and entertainment.
2: By the way, <laughs> right, yeah, David.
1: I mean, I mean, yeah. uh, how how hypocritical are we all when it comes to things like this?
2: All right, so that uh, is the Hall of Fame discussion. We will continue with Andre Dawson at 9.30, bottom of the hour. Looking forward to that uh, interview here and inside the clubhouse. Bruce, a couple of local things I want to touch on. Great story in the Sun-Times brought everyone's attention uh, to the fact the White Sox have hired Jasmine Dunstan, who is Sean Dunstan's daughter, to be the director of minor league operations, reporting to assistant general manager Chris Getz. Nice story on Jasmine Dunstan, her credentials, and that is a very – a uh, very nice story, and obviously she's a very worthy um, recipient of that job, and looking forward to hearing more from Jasmine Dunston. In that job, the last 40
1: years has been Grace Guerrero's with, and Grace has been a powerhouse in her own right uh, with the Chicago White Sox, getting everything done as an administrator in the minor leagues for the White Sox over the last 40 years. She's segueing toward retirement. Grace is a wonderful lady and doesn't really get the credit she deserves for being uh, in that front office and getting so many things done for those minor leagues over the past 40 years. Um, Jasmine is uh, segueing into that job. Obviously grew up here, uh, you know, as a little kid, more so in San Francisco later on with her dad being a, a part of the coaching staff for the giants during those three championship runs in the early 2010s. And, uh, it's a great story. I mean, she's a fantastic young woman. There's great stories uh, going out there about women in baseball. Now becoming coaches every day, every organization is waking up. Every organization is, is looking at the fact that there are talented people out there, male, female, whatever gender uh, that are, uh, are terrific young baseball people, and they're getting jobs. Thankfully, and hopefully, David, these won't, this won't be a big story going forward, because it's just the right thing. I mean, these are talented people uh, with great backgrounds that have done tremendous work to get there as, as young lawyers, as young players, uh, in player development, they've earned it. It's not, it's not their gender that's getting them their jobs. But it's great that these genders are being celebrated now. A quick
2: aside Bruce, for somebody who saw Sean Dunston play and sees Tim Anderson play, is that an inter- is that a fair comp? Is there a lot of uh... It is. It's yeah. a
1: it's a terrific comp David, uh because they're both live wires, they were both unbelievable athletes. I mean, these guys, both Sean and Tim, whatever uh uh athletic area that they chose to go whether it was basketball or football, They would have been stars. They would have been professionals. They would have been wide receivers. They would have been point guards Uh, there. I mean, Tim was a a point guard. He played mostly basketball. But uh, these uh, these guys have sensational tools, can do things other people can't do. Great arms, uh, great power, great uh, quick, uh, quick twitch ability uh, that you need for the game of baseball.
2: And before we get to break, Bruce, I have to uh, ask your opinion on the report this week that the Cubs are a finalist for Japanese outfielder Seiya Suzuki. West Coast teams in the mix. I think, did I even see the Red Sox mentioned, but the Cubs also yeah. a potential finalist. What can you tell us about that and how he might po- possibly fit on the north side? Well, he's a gold glove. He's a 27-year-old outfielder, uh, slashed
1: for a career 309, 309, uh, 407, 542. Three gold gloves. Uh, Considered the best player, according to the scouts i talked to, in Japan. And uh, he posted, uh, they can't talk, none of the teams can talk to him uh, during the lockout, but the Cubs are one of five teams, including the Red Sox, uh, that have great interest in Suzuki, uh, Seattle being another team in there. So this would be a great upgrade. Why? He's the best player in Japan. He's 27. But more importantly for the Cubs, they have needed outfield help here for a long time. They need to solidify the outfield. Tell me what the outfield is going into 2022, and I'll tell. I'll show you a team that needs. They have some good players. They have no great players in the outfield. Uh, this guy has the potential to be a great outfielder for the Chicago Cubs, and I think they're a very serious contender for his services
2: Bruce you might be able to make the argument the Cubs have been looking for a right fielder since number eight left town and uh, Andre Dawson of course is number eight and we will talk to him next coming up on inside the clubhouse after a break Andre Dawson joins us on Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score Hello, I'm trying to reach David Ortiz, please. This is David Ortiz. Hello, David. This is uh, Jack O'Connell with the Baseball Writers Association of America. I'm calling you from
3: Cooperstown, New York, to let you know that the Baseball Writers have elected you to the National Baseball Hall. Yes!
2: Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio score. David Hall, Bruce Levine until 11 o'clock as we are every Saturday morning talking baseball. That was uh, David Ortiz getting the good news this week that he was entering the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, baseball immortality. And thank you to Fox for that highlight from the 2004 ALCS when David Ortiz homered. And part of his legacy involves that postseason clutch hitting. And now he is a Hall of Famer, just like our next guest. And we go to the Circa Resort and Casino hotline in las vegas home of the world's largest sportsbook bruce that is where we find our next guest former
1: 1987 national league mvp many time gold glove award winner terrific five tool player our friend andre dawson joining us on inside the clubhouse on this cold saturday morning here in chicago hawk uh, welcome to our show It's great having you on how are you today
3: I'm fine, Bruce David. Thank you very much. How are you guys?
1: We're, we're doing great. Uh, your your first reactions, you know, we know, uh, you know, certainly that the guys who did it right, the guys who uh, broke their tailbones trying to uh, get out in the field, uh, work as hard as they did like you, uh, Ryan Sandberg's of the world, um, you know, were, were mentioned, you know, always mentioned, you know, that in, in their in your Hall of Fame speeches, that you did it the right way. And you made it clear uh, at at that point in time that, um, you know, steroid guys were not the guys who did it the right way, not what we represent. We represent working our butts off and trying to be the best we can for our careers. I wonder what your thoughts are about uh, this era right now and about, uh, first of all, David Ortiz going into the Hall of Fame this week.
3: Well, I'm I'm very happy for David. Uh, he pretty much uh, set the standard uh, for uh, DHs. Well, Edgar Martinez prior to him, but David was, you know, off the field. He was just sensational. He uh, was a role model, in a sense. A lot of people loved and looked up to him. Aside from the fact that he put together the career that he did. And, uh, you know, I was very happy for him. I ran into him actually at Wrigley Field uh, last year, uh, taping an episode of one of his shows. And everyone felt that uh, it was probable that he may get in on the first ballot. And um, I'm happy, I'm excited for him, regardless of uh, what the Mitchell report um, stated prior to, well, you know, when he was a, when he was a player, very uh, I won't say disappointed. I'm not surprised at uh, the voting went for the other guys, but it is sad in a sense because a generation of good ball players are going to have to succumb to uh, consequences. And I think you know, not knowing down the road. Uh, how this would affect you going forward, uh, the choices that made has uh, pretty much brought you to where you are today. But I'm not disappointed. I should not surprised that the vote went the way that it did, uh, because uh, that 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 just cast a dark cloud not only over the game but over all the fame itself.
2: Andre, I'm sure that people go to you for baseball wisdom, given your experience, given your, your legacy. Uh, and, and I I guess I'm, I'm turning to it now as well. People ask me, why did you vote for David Ortiz and not Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens? and How can you leave those other guys off the ballot if you put David Ortiz on it? If somebody were to ask you what distinguishes David Ortiz from the rest of those guys who aren't going into uh, the Hall of Fame, how would you answer it?
3: I would uh, simply say, you know, uh, even though he was mentioned in the report, it was kept confidential. So uh, the court of public opinion uh, really doesn't matter. Uh, There were no positive tests as a result. And I I really have a problem with uh, the PED era, Uh, and I've, I've stated that. I think a few other guys have stated that. I think it's the consensus of all of the Hall of Famers. Uh, we just, you know, felt that, here, regardless if you were a Hall of Famer prior to, a lot of uh, uh, the times when you were mentioned to be a potential uh, PED candidate, uh, even though you didn't test positive, but the The character part of it uh, the uh, physical presence can dictate otherwise, and now you find yourself in a situation where going forward, okay, um, you know how are you going to deal with this it uh, from a personal standpoint, I uh, can look at it a little bit differently because I just you know feel that these guys, even though they very much. I had Hall of Fame careers I, as a certain sadness uh, that comes with it because I teammates with a few of them. And you want to see justice and uh, due process uh, where it's supposed to be. And, again, now that they, you know, made the, the decision to do what they did, um, a lot of them because of monetary issues, um, further fame, uh, continuing to build on a career that they had or extend their playing careers that's that's you know the integrity part that doesn't uh, sit real well with a lot of people and I think the consensus again amongst uh, all of baseball uh, you know not just the writers but everyone involved with baseball is that they probably don't condone or so they don't support uh, what was done and that's you know, why it's unfortunate that, you know, it's come to what it is.
1: Andre Dawson, the hall of famer, our friend here at the WSCR and the score on inside the clubhouse, uh, is our guest right now. And Andre, it's a real tough one because, uh, I think you alluded to the fact that, you know, guys like Clemens and bonds. And and I, I talked to, you know, some hall of famers. I talked to managers before I cast my vote. Uh, they, they all believe that Bonds and Clemens were were Hall of Famers way, way before um, they decided to make a, a jump into another area, allegedly. Um, that, that's I think that's part of the sad sad part, because you're talking about two of the great greatest talents that may have ever played the game. Uh, individually, when you look at those two, you talk about the sadness. Um, is, it, is the sadness there because you know that with or without any type of extra help, these guys were among the best that ever played?
3: Oh, absolutely so. I was a teammate of Roger in Boston for a couple of years, and I saw his struggles. I saw, you know, how injuries were taking its toll, and uh, he simply wasn't in the eyes of, of people that you had conversations with. Uh, he was starting to lose a little bit of the edge he always had, but you know, again, I I just I I, I feel that these guys they had phenomenal careers, and yes, they were on the path uh, to being first, of, first ballot Hall of the first ballot Hall of Famers, but you know, like I said, um, in an effort to extend their careers and you know, go and play on championship teams, break records. Uh, this was something that uh, they probably uh, eluded what would happen later on in their careers. They were just more concerned about the present.
2: Andre, with all your greatness that made you a Hall of Famer on the field, one of your more memorable gestures, I think, came off of it. And in the midst of the, today's work stoppage and labor dispute, I think it's worth revisiting. In 1987, before the season, Your agent, Dick Moss, and you went to the Cubs and presented a blank contract. Basically, uh, there was collusion going on at the time. There were a lot of other things that were contributing to the labor issues in Major League Baseball. And here you were in front of the Cubs in Dallas Green. Here's a blank contract. And they gave you an incentive-laden deal. And you didn't miss a game in the first half of the 1987 season. In that context, do you have a hard time watching what's unfolding now with Major League Baseball? and/or How do you view this work stoppage?
3: Well, unfortunately, it's just where the game is today. And, you know, it's been quite a while since there has been a work stoppage. But uh, these things are going to uh, come uh, as a result of when you approach uh, another labor agreement. And there are going to be some changes uh, that both sides are going to want to see come to fruition, usually from the player perspective. They want to see the game grow uh, to their benefit. and um, you know the owners these a lot of a lot of these um, uh, teams are pretty much you know just um, a different uh, sort of business from an owner perspective. and uh, the owners uh, they're gonna do what they feel is in the best interest of of their organization. and I just think that You know where we are today uh they're they're probably uh, and i I should say this uh, because this is how i feel i think we just want to be in the near future because there just seems to be some core economics that need to be down
1: uh hawk we 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 lost you for a second there could you Just repeat that last sentence because I think it's important to get it on.
3: Yeah, I just uh, personally feel that uh, the core economics is what's going to really push this thing forward and uh, see some progress. Uh, The owners have made a proposal uh, from what I read, and um, uh, that should jumpstart things. But I do feel that you're going to continue in the future. You're going to have... Uh, work stoppages because that's the, the the greatest union ever, and they're gonna constantly want to continue to uh, improve the game to benefit themselves. Which I uh, I don't not, but you gotta you gotta use common sense sometimes for the greater good of the game, and remember uh, that the game is about the fans.
1: If Andre Dawson was the commissioner of baseball, he had control of how the game was played. What would you change right now to make the game, uh, more palpable, more exciting, uh, quicker pace? Is there, is there any, anything that you and, and your friends talk about any, anybody that you talk to baseball with, uh, where you would have a, a, a solution to some of the lethargy that's in the game right now?
3: Uh, well, that's a tough one, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm all about the fans. Uh, that's who make the game. That's who you play the game for. It's not about you as an individual. I would try to cater it more around uh, the youth uh, and try and capture uh, a younger generation uh, of fans because that's uh, how you're co- going to continue to move forward and uh, ensure that you're going uh, to uh, have attendance uh, the way you would want it to be. Uh so uh, it, it's it's a tough one to answer but I just I just feel that because the game is is so money driven today uh that's that's really not what it's about you play the game for the love and the joy of it and uh if you're good enough you're successful enough you're going to make your money but uh you can't play the game with the only purpose in mind is you know trying to make as much money as you can as quickly as you can
2: Andre, thanks so
1: much for your time this morning. Hawk, uh, a pleasure having you on, as always. Stay well, my good friend. Give my uh, best to uh, Vanessa and your family, and uh, stay warm. Hopefully, we'll see you during uh, the 2022
3: season. Oh, okay, guys. Thank you. I understand it's very cold up there. It sure (laughs) is.
1: (laughs) It is January in Chicago. Hawk, thanks again. Have a great day. Okay. appreciate it.
3: Take care, Bruce. David, thank you.
2: Andre Dawson, the Cub Hall of Famer, former Expo Red Sox. He obviously played a lot of different teams, but here in Chicago, he is still number eight, Bruce. And do you remember the 1987 blank contract uh, news story back in the day? Yeah, I told told him not to sign it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness. He said, well, I have
1: this uh, extra $150,000 that are available to me if I I become the MVP. Uh, I mean – you know, standing there at uh, Dallas Green's trailer in 1987 in spring training and talking to him and Dick Moss, it's like, oh, you got to be kidding. I mean, it's, uh, he had one of the greatest uh, seasons in, in baseball and Cub history in 1987, winning the National League MVP for a team that finished last in their division. So uh, that was something sensational. And as you pointed out so succinctly, David, that was uh, the height of collusion at that time. Uh, where teams were not spending proper money for players, and they were all uh, talking to each other about how much they're going to spend and the limits they were going to have to uh, th- that they were going to put out, and that's one of the major reasons why we're sitting here right now with a, a new CBA uh, at large, and and uh, people still fighting about making sure that you spend the proper
2: amount of money uh, if you are uh, one of the players. Absolutely. Andre Dawson was and is the epitome of class. And we do have some more Cubs-related news. We'll tell you what it is when we come back. Inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. And I have some breaking news for you. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 The Score. David Hall, Bruce Levine here until 11 o'clock. Just had a nice conversation with Andre Dawson. Looking forward to another one with Marco Patti, the White Sox uh, special assistant to the general manager in charge of uh, international signings. And until we get to that point, Bruce, uh, we have some, you know, information. And breaking news here on The Score is brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo, privacy simplified. David, uh, the breaking news is that uh, back to the future at Wrigley Field.
1: There'll be a brand new look to the concourse at Wrigley Field in 2022. The vintage brick that is on the wall will be on the concourse. You will no longer have concrete below you. You will be walking on vintage brick uh, starting in 2023. This is uh, phase four of the Wrigley 1060 project and it is going to be complete by opening day. So uh, a brand new look uh, that was planned that wasn't able to get done up until now will be in place. It's a million dollar project, not you know it, it's it's not huge by standards of money, but the look of the ballpark will be back to the Original look of the 1920s and 30s when this ballpark was brand new, and it's it's just another phase of uh, the Ricketts family trying to put this ballpark uh, uh, separated from every other in the um, in Major League Baseball. So nice move by the Cubs. They're working on it now. You'll see that in place. But David, uh, that's not where it ends. Okay. Wrigley Field is known as for night games as the darkest ballpark in baseball. Okay. The reason for it is pretty And not just because obvious. of the pitching. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty obvious. It's the only ballpark in baseball that doesn't have stanchions on in the outfield. Okay. For lights. The lights all have to come from uh, all the way down the left field line through the right field line. That's it. Well, the Cubs are moving forward in 2023 redoing their entire light stanchions, uh, all the electricity, multi-million dollar uh, uh, project, and you will have LED lighting at Wrigley Field in 2023 where uh, you will be able to see the brightest uh, ballpark in the world. And not only that, um, that will also be something a little bit extra for people that go to concerts as well. It's going to be... a step up in the world. And it's going to bring uh, the Cubs to where they want to be as far as uh, the lighting at Wrigley field, which has been really difficult to figure out before LED lighting uh, occurred and was uh, available. Now uh, the Cubs will go ahead and redo those lights that they put in, in 1987, 1988, before they uh, first got lights back then.
2: 8, eight 88. You can't forget that date in cub history. Okay, Bruce. So just to quickly reset number one, Breaking news is that the vintage look, the vintage brick, on the concourse of Wrigley Field will begin Phase 4 of the 1060 project by opening day 2023, about a million-dollar project, and second to that. 20, that'll be this year. This year, okay. The, this, the brick is before, this year. Great. Before brick opening be day. Done, yep. opening day, hopefully in April, whenever that may be. Hopefully it is on time. And then the lighting will be improved and redone by 2023 uh, to make the ballpark b- brighter and to provide LED lighting. Is that is that a good summation a- of what Absolutely
1: happened? right. So right. And, and again these are it's breaking news but it was planned to do the Cubs plan to do this as the final phases of the Wrigley uh 10 1060 project and uh, they will be set and I think that lighting David will lead to their first All-Star game since 1990. I really believe that 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 will be uh, part of, uh, you know, this upgrade, final part of this project that cost them more than a billion dollars to get done. And, uh, you know, the Cubs have gone longest now of any team in baseball for getting an all-star game. Uh, So I I believe all of these improvements and uh, hopefully the city is supportive as well uh, because uh, they have to be supportive of wanting to get this all-star game as well. Cup fans deserve it right now.
2: Brief answer, Bruce, was that an impediment to getting an All-Star game before the lighting issue? I do not believe so. No. Okay, It's it's just an enhancement. Good stuff. Good. We'll hear hear your reaction to that uh, throughout the show, 312-644-6767. But first, Marco Patti talking White Sox, international signings, and Oscar Colas next, inside the Clubhouse Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7, The Score.